dear listeners, greetings and welcome to the newest episode of Fans About Films. I am, as always, Lasse Vogt, your creator and host, who has a very, very special guest today who is going to introduce himself now. Well, I wouldn't know how special I can I describe myself, but uh, my name is uh, Ian Crabb. I'm a producer and the resident interview monkey for Sideshow Sound Theatre Radio, which is a part of SideshowSoundTheatre.com. That's awesome. And I have actually been um, a guest, as you probably know, dear listeners. Yes, at my request, I wanted you on the show. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was just awesome, because your podcast is uh, a marvel. Uh, oh, well, that's that's very, very kind to say. Um, I do very little work on there. It's basically down to the two guys, Will and Wendell. That's uh, Will Dodson and Wendell Jones. They founded it. They um, they brought me on because they thought I'd make a good sort of news show anchor type person. Uh, that show, unfortunately, has fallen by the wayside um, because as the years have gone on, coming on to three years now, maybe even more, I can't remember, <laughs> but... Uh, But now I, I've started. I started doing interviews, and uh, as our reputation has grown, uh, I start getting bigger and more famous guests. Uh, I mean, not in, I'm nowhere near the league of somewhere, you know, that, that would get like a John Williams. You'll never get him on the show. But uh, I, I try to interview people that are either up and coming that I really want people to hear about, or people that are well established, and I'm just amazed that they'll sit down and talk to an idiot like me for a couple of hours yeah it, it is actually um uh, quite amazing and um yeah of uh, of course you 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 do some some things on on sideshow sound and it's just an an awesome podcast um, a, a friend of mine who's also a german soundtrack reviewer um recommended it to me um Some, wow. some some time back, and and he said, uh, listen to this one. It's actually it's actually great. It's it's something we soundtrack fans all uh, dream about having on a podcast. And uh, yeah, then then I got in contact with um, uh, with another guy from from your podcast with uh, with Wendell Jones and um, had him as a guest, where we talked about uh, Pixar for like three hours. <laughs> so um and yeah and, and he recommended uh me to you and uh, that's how we ended up uh, doing a lot of stuff together online and now you've been on a couple of our shows and i would honestly say this i'm not just saying this listeners of lassa's show um i, I would consider myself and lassa firm friends now yes we are we are indeed we are indeed but uh that is confirmed now and um I, uh, we do we do text each other like every day, don't we? Oh, so. we we do uh, all the time. It's crazy. <laughs> it's um, great. Oh, it's it's fantastic, and um, uh, it won't be the last time I'm a guest on uh, Sideshow Sound. I, I will Absolutely be absolutely not. No, no, you will be a regular, my friend. That's so awesome. I'm I'm very very proud. And uh, you ju uh, said to me a couple of days ago that you have never been a guest on another podcast before. Uh, yes, but my memory was was failing me there because I have actually been a uh, a guest once with Will. Um, both of us were a guest on Chad Hopkins' uh, Cinescope uh, podcast. Oh yeah, um, that was uh, quite a while ago now. But uh, but that's the only time. Uh, apart from this, uh, it's a real joy for me because you know I do a lot of interviews and there's so much research and prep 
and writing and that goes into it and then you have to edit it afterwards i mean i'm currently in the middle of four interviews that are going out on sideshow in the next few weeks and for me this is a joy because i get to do two things i love which is i i don't have to do any work for it um and i just get to talk so <laughs> yeah well, well that's a little encouraging at least because originally i wanted to say um with you being uh, new as a guest on another podcast if this episode turns out bad i i blame you or just don't put it out because no one will care about me so <laughs> <laughs> that's always what i do in interviews is like no one really wants to listen to me so i always judge it on on the guest and uh whatever the guest says that, that that goes first i'm not saying you should do that with me because as i said i'm an idiot and i'm a nobody so <laughs> well that's a humble person if i've ever seen one so well, I, I, i try my best i wouldn't say humble i've been called an awful lot of things in my life but humble wasn't always top of the list well i i, I think you are you know uh, just just staying who you are despite all of those famous people you have as guests. I mean, it's amazing who you got to interview and uh, and, and, and and will, you know, uh, like uh, saying, oh, you will never get John Williams or anything. It's like, that's the wrong approach. You know, you never know. I, I think you have to be realistic in, in some terms. There, there are certain composers that um, I know are way above my pay grade and it's not actually worth chasing them. And to be perfectly honest, I'm quite happy about that because I love John Williams. I adore John Williams. I'm not sure I would be a, a good interviewer for him. I, I think I would just I would just gush over him. And he's too smart an individual to... I, I don't want to reduce him to that sort of level. I mean, if he's going to talk to people, he's going to talk to people that are actually good at this job of interviewing Um I'm not good at interviewing. That's why I don't call them interviews. I call them chats because I don't do like Q&A stuff. You know, I, I just get the person and then start talking to them and just see where the conversation goes. There's no script for any of these interviews. I just have bullet points of things I'd like to bring up. And if they want to talk about it, then maybe the conversation will go off in a completely other direction. So I just, I like to try and make people feel comfortable and just, Just talk to them, basically. Yeah, and, and it totally comes across like that. It's uh, uh, call them interviews or just uh, or just you know little chats. Uh, they are great to listen to. They uh, they are very well paced and they are always very interesting and just very uh, entertaining. Well, that's down to editing, my friend. <laughs> Yeah, with the power of editing, of course. Yeah, but but uh, you know uh, the end product is what matters, and. Um, It, it, it's great. I, I, I love those interviews. Well, there's been one or two where I, I, I was, in the first 10 minutes, I was thinking to myself, sort of like, well, this isn't going particularly well. But if you steer people, uh, that's what I do more than anything, is just steer the conversation. If you steer people in the right direction when it's just a conversation, then you can always get it back. Um, there has been one or two. I'm not going to name any names, obviously. But uh, where I thought this isn't going particularly well, and then I managed to claw it back by the end. So it just really depends on the person and what you talk about. But everyone likes to talk. I mean, that's the thing. So you just as as you're as you're gathering right now, I can't shut up, can I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we 
we are all narcissistics when it comes to our own voice. Oh, when I do editing of any of my chat shows, I, I, I always ninety percent of what I cut out is me because <laughs> no one is tuning in to hear me. Uh, let's say, um, just off the top of my head, one of the guests I had, let's say, uh, I don't know, Benjamin Wolfish or uh, Elon Ashkari or Bruce Broughton. Nobody is tuning into a Bruce Broughton interview to hear me talk. And what I didn't know is that Bruce, at the time, was sat at his piano. So he was actually, he, as a complete surprise, was giving me live piano renditions of some of his amazing, classic, iconic themes. Uh, and I was like, okay, I'll just shut up now because <laughs> this guy. And again, Bruce Broughton, I thought, well, I'll get like maybe 40 minutes out of him tops. And it was about two and a half hours later that um, finally, I, I, I just, I always edit myself out because no one is tuning in for me. They're tuning in for the guest. And all I have to do is just pop in now and again and steer the conversation. Yeah, that's awesome. When when I when I did my interview with uh, composer Douglas Pipes, where he originally said like, "Oh, maybe it's gonna be like twenty minutes," and then we ended up talking for a little over like uh, forty minutes. Uh, so so you never know where the conversation goes. And, and that was a brilliant interview, by the way. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. It really was. It was incredible. Really good. Thank you so much. Yeah, also, um, uh, power of editing, because there were obviously uh, some things I I had to cut for for time or maybe like little um, technical flaws and also like putting the music uh, under uh, 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 in certain spots. So, yeah, I was quite nervous Uh, and it won't be the last time I will uh, interview a composer. I've actually set up another one and I won't talk about it publicly now now right here. Um, I already told you who it will be. Because just yeah. just in case it, it, it doesn't work out or, or or something, you know, don't don't promise something you you can't uh, you yeah, you maybe I'm, can't I'm, keep. I'm totally with you on that. I never announce um, a, a new guest on the on the chat series uh, until it's in the can because I've had so many that have fallen away at the eleventh hour. Whether it's just scheduling issues or they just suddenly decide they don't want to do it. I've, I've learned my lesson. I've been burnt quite a few times. Never announce it until it's in the can. Yeah. Once it's in the can, once you've got it recorded, then it's just down to you to edit it. You know you've got it. So, but never promise something that you can't deliver. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's always the, the smartest thing to can do. Can I just ask you a question? This is the only time I'm going to ask you a question. All right. Yeah. Do you ever find when you're doing a chat or you when you're doing an edit, do you ever find that that, that streamlines it or do you? Do you sometimes leave in little... Because I quite often leave in little mistakes now. I've gotten a bit more confident with it. And if a mistake happens and it's a good mistake, i.e., you know, sort of it's a funny mistake or or something they weren't necessarily going to talk about in the first place, I tend to leave that in. Oh, yeah, um, uh, I do that. Of course, I, I edit out uh, some technical flaws or maybe like some... some um... You know, because obviously English is not my first language, so sometimes it it it, it can happen that I don't find the right word at the right time, and so I have to search for it and just blubber nonsense until I find it. So of course those parts get cut. Um, but uh, uh, for the most part, when it's like maybe maybe a funny mistake or something wrong someone says and then corrects himself, um, I will leave it in, of course. But it depends. Well, I, I have to say, and I do mean this genuinely, uh, 
listeners of Lasse's show, his, he says English isn't his first language. And that's true because he is, you know, he's German. But I, in his spoken English, he speaks better English than I do. And I am English. So. <laughs> that's so nice. Thank you. Yeah, I hear it from uh, quite a lot of people who, um, who speak English as the first language. No, you, you speak it absolutely brilliantly very eloquently oh because you were a guest on our you know that massive like um, it was a it was a five guest um it, it was actually the last episode of the new show um sideshow and tell and you were part of there was four other people on the show as well and the first thing you said was i i don't speak english very well because it's not my first language but you were more eloquent than anybody else because we're all just idiots and <laughs> we we've just gotten used to using slang and stuff whereas you actually use the proper words <laughs> yeah because but, but, but maybe because i um i i just want to i i don't want to come across as like you know i, I don't know like like a uh, like a savage guy who butchers the english language so i try to be overly correct with uh with uh, gr the grammatic stuff and everything even though i uh yeah, I, I screw up every now and then, but yeah, that's that's my mentality. And uh, most most of uh, this English I I learned myself, and not from going to school. Well, I actually did study German uh, language in school. No, I, I, yeah, I did. Yeah, because um, in English uh, comprehensive schools, which is what I went to, you had a choice in your fifth year. You could either study French or German, and I chose German because it was. Um, just more interesting to me that's awesome um, i can't i can't really remember an awful lot of it now because this is back when i was 16 and i'm now 38 so <laughs> i can't remember apart from apart from the funny words i remember the funny words which are the funny words well i think i'm getting this right um i, I remember the word for snow is schnee yeah uh, <laughs> And I think the word for airport is Flughafen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think the word for, you know, a vacuum cleaner, a hoover, is Bugleisen. Uh, no, but that's wrong. <laughs> oh, okay. See, that's only three I picked out there, and one of them is already wrong. So. Um, um, uh, Bugleisen is um, uh, uh, like iron, like for... Um... What, what, what was it? like like hot iron uh, for oh so like for clothes. clothes yeah yeah, yeah. Um, oh, okay. uh, uh, Hoover or um, all that stuff that's uh, a Staubsauger oh right okay yeah. <laughs> I always remember Flughafen I I, I think that, I I was like why don't we just call all our airports Flughafen because that's such a better word <laughs> yeah um, but but airport it, it, it it sounds appropriate. It, it sounds kind of, even though it's not in the air, it's just for things which are flying through the air. But you I know, can ask the time in German as well. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, I, I'll probably get this wrong as well. So, dear listeners, I, I'm sorry about this. But wie spät ist das? Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably getting it a little bit wrong, but uh, but it, it's just little phrases I remember. But I did study German um, just because it was more interesting to me than, than studying French. It is, but also German is like one of the hardest languages to learn in the yeah, world. Yeah, because there's like five different types of noun, isn't there? And and five different types of verb and and pronouns. And uh, it's it's a lot harder work than learning French. French is easier to learn. It is, but um, 
nah, French I, I found to be pretty difficult as well. I I dropped it after a few years uh, when, when I didn't have to uh, learn it anymore. But um, English is one of the easiest languages to learn. Yeah, because we're lazy. Um, we don't have <laughs> as many nouns. We don't have as many verbs. We just... Uh, and also because we're so colonialized, we, we 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 tend to just borrow from any language that happens to speak our language, and that's why you get so many English people that will use the word like as a as a verb or something. You know, they uh, they'll say so. It was like twelve o'clock, and it was like kind of rainy outside, and. I was a bit like late, you know, I, I really hate that. I, I hate the use of the word <laughs> like. My sister does that all the time. She says like and you know all the time. I, I'm guilty as well of that, but uh, but it's it's very sort of... The English language these days has become much more Americanized. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry about that, but like, what can you do, you know? <laughs> well, we can do what you do and actually learn how to speak the language properly, but... <laughs> Yeah, I, I wished I wished some some more uh, people would do that. And of course, you have you have a lot of Germans who learn this in school and uh, can can speak pretty good English. But um, I think their mistake is that they don't use it until it's 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 uh, the appropriate time to use it. Because I just uh, I loved the language so much, I just wanted to use it. So I um, I watched a lot of you know online videos. I. I tried to chat with people from different countries and just watched a lot of movies uh, in English, of course. And so I, mm. I, uh, it always uh, improved. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's the problem. Is that in England we've we've gotten so lazy with our use of language that we borrowed from so many other countries, especially America, because uh, you said you know watching up uh, watching movies growing up, that's what made you want to learn how to to say it right. Whereas we in England, because of the the failing British cinema, um, it, we we were watching more American movies. So that's where the term "quote unquote" like came into our common language, and it's something I I hate, but I am very very guilty of. Yeah, and and also I think the problem with uh, with Germany is we have like the biggest uh, dubbing culture in the world. You know, we actually have. Um, uh, uh, any movie from any other country um, gets a German dub version. So we do, we are um, a culture that's pretty much uh, we don't use subtitles anymore in 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 that way. So so of course um, when we watch a movie in the cinema, it's it's most likely to be the German dub version. And so yeah, we we hear just uh, we we sort of actors uh, speaking um, perfect German, and so. Um, that that of course um, takes away from the learning process. If we would if if we would watch these movies and just in the subtitled version, we would learn. Uh, yeah, we would learn English. Even like little kids would learn English while they were uh, watching um, these movies. But of course, yeah, and and they have uh, we have uh, great voice actors in Germany, and it's it's they they do their best to. Uh, to match the original tone or sometimes the accent and and also all that stuff like that but yeah it's a shame that we um yeah that that, that we don't have uh, the ability um like we <coughs> how do you say it we it, it's a shame that we can't 
learn that way. Yeah, let me ask you a question, actually. Another one. I know this is your show. But, <laughs> no uh, problem. It, it's just in my nature. I can't stop asking questions these days. It's just it's been ingrained into my psyche. Um, don't you hate dubbing? I mean, I would. I know an awful lot of people out there that will not watch a film if it's subtitled. And that really, I'm not going to swear, obviously, that really annoys me um, because people say, well, I, I can't read the subtitles and watch the film at the same time it's like well hang on a minute there's there's people in the world that can multitask like uh, people in amsterdam they can do like five languages and and they can also multitask why but dubbing i think takes the spirit and the soul out of the film because as talented as the dubbing artists are and it's not their fault obviously they're just voice artists that are doing a job not their fault at all but if you have the subtitles you get the original feel and the soul of the film. And yes, you can watch a film and read subtitles at the same time, can't you? Yeah, of course. Um, I, I don't hate dubbing at all. Um, I think especially like for um, for kids' movies, of course, for, for kids who can't quite uh, read uh, yet. That's a good point, yeah, that's a good point, yeah. And so um, so, so, so that, that, of course, um, is much easier. And um, as an adult, you always have um, the... the uh, you know you have um you have a choice and it's like um i have a brother who um prefers uh, uh the original uh english versions over uh, the the dubbed uh, versions and so mm. um anytime we watch a movie it's most likely that he says can we watch it in english and i'm like yeah of course um but um when we watch it like with uh, all together with a family and of course when we go to the cinema sometimes there is a special screening in english um, I, I I did one with uh, uh, with m my brothers um, for uh, Suicide Squad, where we watched uh, the, the English version when that movie came out, and um, it's uh, sometimes we get the chance in certain cinemas, but for the most part, you know, you you have to watch the, the dubbed version, and I don't mind, I don't mind at all, because I I know that they are doing uh, the best to to match the the inflections, and of course, sometimes you'd always lose something, but. There are some movies where I actually prefer the uh, German dubbing version over the original, and one of those, mm. shockingly, I don't know why, I really don't know why, is uh, The Lord of the Rings. Um, the, I, I don't know why, maybe it's because I kind of grew up with those movies, but there's something about the uh, the German voices, about the inflections they use, I I, I kind of I kind of like, they, they, it kind of sounds nicer than... Uh, yeah, the, the yeah. uh, English version. I, I I can't explain it. Maybe it's sacrilege that I'm even even saying this. But but yeah, that's that's one uh, movie series where I prefer um, the, uh, the the dubbed version. But there are it's, always no. It's not not yeah. not sacrilege at all because the the dialogue in those films, the Lord of the Rings films, is very very poetic and very English because it was written by a guy that, was, that wrote them in, in I think in the 1930s or something like that and. Uh, it's very, very English, even though the story itself is set in a world where language doesn't really matter. Not everybody has to be English. Um, so, and it, it's so complicated, the dialogue in that. There's lots of massive exposition speeches, aren't there? And so if it, it's, it, it makes more sense to listen to it in a language that you're more comfortable with. 
Yeah, maybe that's uh, maybe that's the reason, but I don't know. There, there's something about um, the how the how the German voices sound and how well they are chosen. I mean, there's barely a difference. They 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 are so well chosen, especially um, the the German voice actor of Gollum. Um, uh, his name is Andreas Fröhlich, and he also uh, wrote. The, um, the, the the dubbing scripts and he 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 pretty much was the guy behind all of this and he his his inf he nails that role i mean he he sounds so much like uh, the, the the original voice of uh, andy circus and he he really gets into the role and he is one of my favorite uh, voice actors he's actually the regular voice actor of um of edward norton and um Oh, now Andy Serkins, of course, but uh, in uh, funny enough, in um, Avengers: Age of Ultron, he's the voice of Ultron. And uh, <laughs> when I when I watched uh, Age of Ultron for the first time, and I heard that German voice coming out of that robot, I was like, "Oh my god, yes!" <laughs> There's a great documentary, uh, actually. On it. Well, I mean, I'm going back to what you're saying about Gollum. I mean. Andy Serkis, if you watch the documentary on the, uh, I've got the uh, Lord of the Rings, I've got the extended box set version. Yeah, me too. And and there's a documentary about how sort of he, he originally thought he was just going in to do a voice performance, and he actually had to fight tooth and nail to get himself on screen. Yeah. And to do the motion capture stuff, because uh, all the other cast they say this in the documentary. So, well, he's just the guy in the suit, you know. But they're going to replace that, and they'll, it'll just be his voice. And but no, he actually fought really, really hard to make himself part of the cast and say to the other actors, "Look, I'm actually here acting, with <laughs> you know, so act with me as well." Whereas they were kind of ignoring him, thinking he was just a voice artist. Um, and actually, I've just had it. You can cut this out if you want to, Lassa. But I've just had a uh, a text message. Uh, I don't know if you've seen The Shape of Water yet. I, I, I haven't yet. It, it hasn't come to Germany yet, but I think it will in a couple of weeks. It should. Okay, well, um, this isn't a spoiler for anybody listening to this, but The Shape of Water, I think, is it's the new film from Guillermo del Toro, and it's a beautiful, beautiful film. And it's just they've just announced the Oscar nominations, and The Shape of Water is leading the pack by some some degree with 13 nominations including best picture and it's essentially a silent film for most of it oh wow because the lead actress sally hawkins is playing a mute yeah. so she only talks through sign language for which there are subtitles and then basically has a connection with this alien creature who doesn't speak so it's basically a very very dark fairy tale it's not for young kids by the way um, there's nudity, swearing, and violence in it, but it's a beautiful love story between a girl that doesn't speak and an alien that can't speak. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds awesome. Maybe that's the reason why it it kind of gets delayed um, here in Germany because maybe they don't know how they should market a movie like this over here. Maybe they they uh, label it as some kind of like art house movie and just put it in certain uh, theaters which would be a shame you know i wished more people would uh, would watch that one um, because uh, over here uh, guillermo del toro is a pretty well liked director and uh, stuff uh, he did like uh, pan's labyrinth which also is 
and not uh, your your typical movie you see every day um that one is 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 very well liked here so i hope it um it gets a proper release i am really looking forward to that one if you liked pan's labyrinth which again was told in a foreign language even you know everywhere it was told in in french wasn't it no um, um, a, a spanish a spanish sorry yes my mistake um this is why i don't do very well in interviews and i cut myself out of most of them um <laughs> But, I mean, that's all basically subtitled anyway. Whichever country you live in, it's, apart from maybe Spain, it, it's going to be subtitled. And The Shape of Water is very similar. There are English-speaking characters in it, but the majority of the, again, very, very dark but beautiful love story is between a woman that talks only in sign language, so that's all subtitled, and an alien that doesn't speak at all but learns sign language so that's all subtitled and that, i think that just makes it more universal oh yeah of course um you you got a good point there um so maybe um let's let's get to some of the meat of um the uh, intention of the episode um, yeah, of course. Yeah, sorry, I've been chattering on oh, it. Oh no, 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 no problem. Because this is just fun, you know. Uh, you, I don't often get the chance. Um, to, I, I mean, of of course, there are some episodes where we just ramble about nonsense, but I don't often get the chance to talk about um, very important uh, stuff. It's, it's mostly, of course, uh, about uh, uh, movie topics. And now we um, did uh, did some other stuff about language, and that's great. Um, but yeah, um, you being um, obviously um, well aware of um, of uh, the soundtracks and film music uh, of of this world, um, do you have some favorites of this year? Oh, this year, blimey, that's um, that's a that's a big question. Uh, first off, I'd like to say that uh, I am part of Sideshow Sound Radio. Um, but I'm by no means uh, an expert when it comes to soundtracks. Um, that is down to Will and Wendell. They are composers themselves. In fact, nearly everybody on the podcast is a composer apart from me. I, I can I can tell you how a soundtrack makes me feel. Um, I could not go into specifics about how it was made and different, you know, different ways it was made. Uh, that's that's what got me into Sideshow Sound as as a fan to begin with. That They broke it down to make it really attainable for a casual listener like me that didn't really know any of the musical terms, but they also made it fun. So that, that's, that was well before I was invited to join them. <laughs> um, so Will and Wendell and pretty much every everybody else. I mean, Tiffany's a composer, well, she's a cellist in an orchestra, uh, Megan, Jennifer, I mean, all these people are absolutely brilliant. But uh, I'm just th that guy that will put on a soundtrack and I can tell you how it made me feel. I could not tell you how it was made or what methods they used. Or I leave that to the guys that know that what they're talking about. Um, but of this last year, are we talking 2017? Yeah, of course, 2017, sorry. Yeah, okay. I was going to say, <laughs> we are technically in, in 2018 now, but yeah. there hasn't been that many out. Um, again, The Shape of Water. Now, I'm... This is controversial, um, even on my own even my own show. Uh, I'm not a massive fan of Alexandre Desplat. Uh, I find him kind of bland a little bit um, I thought his 
last two scores for Harry Potter I thought were the weakest of the entire series um, I, I'm just not a fan but I know I'm in the minority there so I know I'm wrong Okay, it's just my personal taste. You're not wrong. That's uh, just like you said. That's your personal taste. You're never right or wrong about that kind of stuff. Well, this is what I always try and say to people: is that art, any art, is subjective. Yes. You know, I mean, uh, there's a great quote um, from a songwriter that says that one man's poison is another man's life-affirming elixir. <laughs> and I always say this when we used to do the in defense of show: it's like, well, nobody's right or wrong. It's just what we what we think and what we feel so you may disagree with me and that's absolutely your right and prerogative that that's everyone's prerogative you know to if you like a film that i don't like it doesn't mean you're an idiot and i'm brilliant it means that you just like something i didn't and that's fine i mean that's what human beings do right yeah you can read a you can read a book and like it and lend it to a friend and say read this and they may hate it that's fine everything is subjective oh yeah right? it's down to just like how i am currently reading um ready player one and i'm being like this is one of the most obnoxious books i've ever read you see that's a perfect example because i love the book oh yeah a lot of people do i loved apparently. it i mean I'll, I'll be perfectly honest the book is kind of it's kind of throwaway trash nonsense but i enjoyed <laughs> reading it well no, it is i mean it it's it, it's nonsense and it's throwaway, but I enjoyed my time reading it. But I'll, I'll never go out there and say this is the greatest book ever written. And if you don't like it, then you're an imbecile, because that's not the point of it. It's just like if if I enjoyed reading it, great. If someone else reads it and doesn't, that's fine as well. It just doesn't matter to me. But but yeah, going back to Alexandre Desplat, I mean, I personally do not like him as a composer. Uh, again, I'm in the minority. I'm probably wrong, but it's just my opinion. Um, but I did love his work on The Shape of Water. I'm trying to think of other... Uh, David Holmes did a great score, I thought, for Logan Lucky. Oh, um, I haven't seen that one yet, so uh, so, so the, the, uh, I had no idea who that composer was. But all right, um, uh, as, as, as soon as I... Um, get, and get Hans the Zimmer movie. as well. Han, Hans Zimmer's work on Dunkirk. I know there's a, there's kind of a bit of a backlash against Hans Zimmer at the moment, where everyone is saying sort of like, "Well, it's just the same as you know the Dark Knight trilogy. It's all like droney sort of music and that." But in the context of actually seeing it with the film Dunkirk, it works beautifully. It's because it just builds and builds and when you think it can't build anymore then it gets more and considering Dunkirk deals with three different time zones you've got the land, sea and air and one of them is one week, one of them is one day one of them is one hour and they all match up at some point towards the end of the film I, I don't want to give any spoilers out but it, it well it's just a, it's a historical story so I'm sure people can find out what actually happened after Dunkirk and uh, and it, but the way it's done is so beautiful as a soundtrack listening experience it's not exactly fun yeah um, but in the context of the film, I think it works beautifully yeah yeah uh, that was the reason because um, when I 
uh, reviewed it for my uh, for for my own soundtrack blog. I actually refuse to give it a. Uh, any kind of points because usually I, I give like a three out of five or like four out of five points and all that stuff but in this case uh, I actually wrote it would be unfair to to give it as a, a single listening experience um, uh, with this kind of rating because it works very well on the film but not so much on album so that would be unfair so I'm not giving it points right here and yeah as a as as a score itself i mean it, it's it's minimalistic it's it's quite obnoxious sometimes but in the movie itself i really had no problem with it um but uh, some some people i know it did uh, some people said that, uh, that it actually was distracting to them and they were like uh, is, this isn't even music you know why is it here why isn't there just sound design i'm like no no it is definitely music you know it has it has a beat it has a kind of melody it has rhythm it has uh, instrumental elements but i i totally get the criticism and i think the the criticism overall for hans zimmer i think people um the public just caught on with um how he uh kind of is the the the, the lord of um of, of film music and how he um overwhelms everything with um his sound and and so so just the uh, it just caught on the mainstream just caught on to that and so the, the backlash is a little late. <laughs> yeah, well, this is why listeners of Lasse's show, this is why he's so brilliant because he just nailed everything that that is absolutely correct about the Dunkirk score. Uh, as an album experience, it is not a good listen. It's not because there's no context there. In the context of watching it with the film. It works brilliantly, um, but also what Lassa just said is that uh, the criticisms of uh, Hans Zimmer has been sort of like, well, it just overpowers it. Yeah, hang on a minute, that there's a director there. That's, I mean, and you're talking about films with Christopher Nolan, who is, in my eyes, one of the best directors that's ever been. Uh, so Christopher Nolan is a smart guy. He would not sign off on a score even to someone as big and powerful as Hans Zimmer, unless it worked for the film. So that's something to take into consideration as well. It's not like Hans Zimmer just shows up at Christopher Nolan's offices and and puts a CD on his desk and there's your score. He, he works very, very closely. And the sound mixers, sound designers, and they make something that the director feels is appropriate for the score. So it, it that that's why Lasser is absolutely right on all those counts. Yeah, and I uh, thank you so much. And I actually got in an argument on on Facebook a, a while back because, and when uh, when uh, Alexander Depla won the Golden Globe for The Shape of Water, I, I commented like, "Thank God Dunkirk didn't win." And when uh, one uh, someone uh, uh, asked, uh, "Why do you think like that?" and I'm like, "Because." Because because the, the the score doesn't doesn't deserve that kind of praise, you know, and and he's like, but but the score worked in the film. What do you want? I'm like, ninety nine percent of every score works in the film. That's its intended purpose. But I think the best uh, film scores do more than that, you know. Of course, of course, uh, the score works in the film. That's that's what it was written for. Um, only like uh, maybe one percent of film scores don't work in in the film itself. Um, but it's it, it's like 
film music should do more you know it, it it should actually sound nice it should elevate what's going on on screen and not just telling telling the audience what is going on you know it, it, it should have depth it should have um, some sort of melody it should have something that uh, transports you uh, to another world even when you're not seeing the pictures and just listen to the music and that that's something Dunkirk doesn't do and that's actually something that most scores that get nominated for like uh, Golden Globes or Oscars don't do nowadays and it, that, that really drives me insane there's like so many so much great music out there and it doesn't get any kind of award recognition and it, it just drives me insane that and and especially this year which 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 is also part of our topic there have been a lot of kind of bad or maybe even like mediocre movies which had great scores and uh everybody just looks to the movie and is like oh the movie is bad so whatever and they dismiss just everything else about it but i'm like what about the music? The music is is so great. You know, uh, yeah. some of uh, some of the best scores on my list um, are for kind of mediocre movies or even movies that were downright pretty bad. You know, like uh, uh, Brian Tyler's The Mummy was for me one of the best scores of the year. Yeah, it's a terrible film, but it's a great score. It is. And as kind of like with Kingsman the Golden Circle, I wasn't a huge fan of the movie because I liked the first one so much. And uh, the, the second one I, I just thought was a typical sequel. But the music was even better in the second one. Yeah, well, that's Henry Jackman doing his magic, isn't it? I mean, I loved the first Kingsman. Uh, it's the first time I can ever say with Kingsman, the Golden Circle. I I really think it's the first time I can say this. I think Matthew Vaughan dropped the ball a little bit. <laughs> and um, because I'm a huge fan of Matthew Vaughan. I mean, to the extent of almost being a stalker, I bought a, a baseball cap just because I saw him doing interviews in that same baseball cap. Um, I thought the first one was original. I thought the score was incredible. The second one, I thought he's pushed it too far. It's, it, it's the first it, sequel it, he ever did, and, and you, you kind of see yeah. it. Oh, well, you can't really count X-Men First Class, can you, as a sequel, because it's, it's a prequel, and it was a... I think to this day one of the best X-Men films ever made yeah considering the time he had or the lack of time it was just uh, for that shoot was incredibly difficult he had like 8 months for the whole thing and yeah. that's that's too little time and yeah considering the, the problems um, he, he did a really good job but you know uh, Matthew Vaughn is a director he is known for 
um, not doing certain things if he doesn't if he doesn't like it. You know, of course they wanted him for a second X Men, and he was like, no, thank you. And he also didn't do the second Kick Ass, and that was a big mistake that he didn't do that. No, he he, he produced it, but he didn't want to direct it, and I think that shows through because I I personally think again just my opinion. I think the first Kick Ass is brilliant. Um, it, it's it was groundbreaking. It was challenging. It was funny as hell um the second one just pushed it that little bit too far but he didn't direct that and i think it was a good decision on his point to, to not direct that because it was not a good film kick-ass too yeah yeah it, it, it wasn't um but uh, yeah the, the first kingsman was was great i actually saw that in the cinema three times um my personal record for um, uh, going uh, going to a movie in the cinema was um, I saw Kung Fu Panda two four times. Oh, I can beat that easily, my friend. Oh, really? And it, this just shows how old I am. Um, back in nineteen ninety four, when Dumb and Dumber came out, I saw that eight times in the cinema. Jesus Christ! Literally every single Saturday, I would go with my one of my friends and watch it again because I, at the time, considered it the best comedy ever made. I mean, it just it just made me happy. It was just two hours of pure pleasure. Now, having grown up a, a couple of decades and <laughs> watching it again, it does not really hold up to what I remember. So nostalgia is always a it's a good thing until you actually revisit it. Uh, and I, I recently watched Dumb and Dumber again and didn't laugh once. But at the time, as a, an 18-year-old, I would go to the cinema eight weeks in a row on a Saturday to watch it, and it always made me howl with laughter. That's that's uh, that's quite impressive, uh, I have to say. But uh... Wait, I, I would say impressive or maybe psychotic but <laughs> <laughs> which, which one was your uh, favourite Michael J. Kino score this year Michael J. Kino um, okay uh, well this brings me on to uh, one of my big disappointments of 2017 which was Spider-Man Homecoming as a film or uh, as a soundtrack uh, as a whole oh really um, yeah I again I'm in the minority here I do not like Tom Holland as Spider-Man. I find him whiny and annoying. <laughs> All right. But no one else agrees with that. But that's fine. Just my opinion. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong. It just something about that film didn't click with me. And all the people saying sort of like, well, this is a, a rebirth for the Spider-Man franchise. It was like, well, no, because if you actually break down the plot, it's exactly the same as all the other Spider-Man films. Um, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man 2 I think is the best one that's ever been put on film uh, with the best score as well hmm. um, I found Michael Giacchino's score the thing with Michael Giacchino I mean obviously he's amazing um, he's more talented than I'll ever be but he's doing so many things now hmm. that it they all sound a little similar Um Take, for example, Rogue One. I mean, I know for a fact that 
Alexandre Desplat was meant to score Rogue One and I would have loved to have heard that but hats off to Giacchino I mean to come in like four weeks before the film was released yeah something like that it was three or four weeks something like that I mean it was an insane schedule and to do an incredibly adept score not I mean, I I didn't like Rogue One either. I oh, God, I'm coming across like such a such a grump right oh, no, now. No, no, I, I don't like it either. Like, also, my my brothers don't. Uh, it's uh, I I don't like that movie. <laughs> well, I mean, hats off to him though for being able to pull off something like that that sounded that good in like three four weeks. I mean, that's unheard of. Yeah, um, I think like uh, James Newton Howard had like three weeks for um, King Kong. And um, uh, I think uh, I, I think James Horner for uh, for Troy. I think he had like four or even like two weeks. So uh, it's, yeah, it's not it, uncommon. It, yeah, but it's it's still an insane thing to ask of a person. Can you? We've just thrown out this score. Can you write a brand new one, start to finish, in three weeks? And he did it. So you know, I I can't really hate on that score because of the effort he put in the the film I did not care for at all mm. um, but uh, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming I I just found it 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 wasn't groundbreaking it was the same plot as every other Spider-Man or superhero film out there and but the one score of 2017 that Giacchino did that I absolutely adored was War for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> yeah. Because I love that that franchise because since they rebooted it, it was, um, what was it? It was Rise of the Planet of the Apes, then Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, then War for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, every film of this franchise has the wrong title. Yeah, but every film of this franchise has gotten better with each instalment. Yeah, they they they, they kind of did. I, I was a little iffy about the second one when that came out because I uh, thought the human characters were incredibly bland. But it it has grown on me. But I think War is definitely the strongest. Oh, it's it's fantastic. I mean, personally, I I I thought Rise was a great restart to the franchise. Yeah, I thought I thought Dawn. I liked it as much as Rise. I thought it took the story a little bit further. Um, and, but War, I mean, good Lord. Uh, they're not pulling any punches with that film, and certainly not with the score. Giacchino, I, I think that's his best work of A lot of people um, uh, think that's, that's that's one of his best of the year, but I, and and I, I liked this, that score a lot, and I kind of agree with you that um, when I um, when I did, um, I'm writing for my blog, and then I'm doing a new uh, Michael Giacchino score um, review, I'm I'm always like, Jesus, another one! Like I I, I feel like it's been three weeks since I. Uh, since I uh, did his uh, his last album, so uh, I actually didn't um, review 
um, his uh, Coco score because that one I, I thought was a little too complex and also I was like maybe maybe I can uh, lay this one off because uh, I have done so many reviews for his scores but in my opinion I actually really think um, uh, the Spider-Man Homecoming score was really good in that way that when I first listened to the main theme um, with a friend of mine um, I was like this is the kind of uh, superhero score we haven't been getting in a long time this is the kind of superhero score people will leave the theater and hum this theme really refreshing especially because Marvel gets a lot of criticism for its music but they've gotten better over the years and that one I think is, is one of the strongest scores they they ever had it's, I, it's, I thought it was a lot of fun it was very refreshingly old-fashioned in a lot of ways um, especially with yeah the, yeah I get that yeah. especially with the villain theme like the, the theme for the vulture that sounded like a that sounded not unlike something he would have used in something like The Incredibles or something. Yeah, but wouldn't you like to have, have seen the film that Sam Raimi was going to do, Spider-Man 4, with John Malkovich as the Vulture? That that sounds pretty awesome, actually. But, um, you know, it's um, they, they went a different direction and uh, Sony screwed it up several times. <laughs> um, with, uh, also with The Amazing Spider-Man things where the first one was uh, was pretty good and the, the second one was just you know i don't hate it like a lot of other people do but i i totally think that that's one of the biggest messes ever put on a screen because the studio just doesn't know what to do properly with these characters and so it was good that they got him back to uh to marvel now and um i think uh, yeah i i uh, i see why uh, people wouldn't like that movie but um, uh, I liked it in the way, you know, reintroducing him and not doing an origin story again. You know, just dropping us in this a little story with uh, fun characters and, f and you know, making him a teenager, actually. A an authentic teenager with authentic teenager problems for the most part. Um, I enjoyed it quite a lot, but um, I, I, I can see why, why you wouldn't like it. I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's totally subjective. Oh, no, no, actually, that's the one thing I have to give them absolute credit for is the fact that they didn't do an origin story. <laughs> they dropped you right into the story where he's already Spider-Man. You don't need the backstory because they've rebooted this film, this franchise, rather, three times in the last 15 years. And I, I liked the Andrew Garfield ones. We actually did an in defense of show on on Sideshow. Oh yeah, I remember. Uh, where we uh, we defended The Amazing Spider-Man, number one, not two. Um, but, and say, I, I think Andrew Garfield was a... I thought he was a great Spider-Man, mm -hmm. but not a very good Peter Parker. But that's not his fault. That was down to the writing because they tried to make him darker and more dour. Um, but the main problem I had with Homecoming was Tom Holland, to be perfectly honest. I just found him really really annoying yeah I, I can i can totally see that but i i liked him quite a bit and it was it was smart of them that they 
uh, had his uh, like his little role in Civil War to kind of ease people in. And, um, yeah, like a, like a cameo, like an introduction. Yeah, and yeah. It, it worked quite well. And uh, how they actually referenced it at the beginning of Homecoming mm-hmm. uh, was pretty smart. And yeah, you are right. We don't need this origin story, can because everybody knows knows it. And so I was kind of annoyed when I heard when they were doing Men of Steel that oh, it's going to be an origin story. Can I like? Is this really necessary? This is like this is like common knowledge even uh, for people who don't read comic books at all you know everybody knows who superman is why do we have to do this again you know the first big budget batman movie didn't bother starting with an origin story he's batman in that one he's batman from the beginning and then they do it um uh, just in the last third of a movie in a little flashback and it works fantastically yep also man of steel and uh and the 1989 Batman they share a common thing in that they do the origin story but they both do it in flashbacks yeah but not 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 quite you know in Man of Steel they start with Krypton and uh, establish and of course it, it's a different Krypton than we've seen before and and uh, but in the it worked better in Batman because in Man of Steel the flashbacks are so out of order it's just I, I, I know you like that movie and you know uh, uh, I know I don't uh, because uh, yeah, we, yeah, we, we, said, we said this before but, but I really don't like that movie but uh, but but I can see why why people like it and uh, that's uh, I, I will defend Man of Steel I really will uh, but having said that that brings me on to another score I was thinking about um, from 2017 and uh, that's Justice League mm-hmm. by Danny Elfman now when I first saw Justice League I loved it and I I, you probably saw this. I was on Twitter all over the place saying sort of like, Justice League is amazing. It's absolutely brilliant. Oh, God. Uh, and now I've seen it a couple more times. I was, I was kind of like, well, it's actually not that good. Um, but the score that Danny Elfman did, bring back the, um, the 89 Batman theme. Bring back the uh, the Donna Superman theme. At the lowest theme, uh, as a score. Now that's complete opposite of what I was saying before. As an album listening experience, it's brilliant. Yes, it is. I mean, just to hear the the Batman theme again and the lowest theme. Uh, it's it's. I, I loved Justice League when I first saw it, but after it, it does not, it does not work well with repeating viewings. So, uh, but but as a score, I think Danny Elfman worked wonders there. He totally did, and also um, because I was kind of skeptical when he when he was like, why why do uh, composers always start fresh uh, with uh, with reboot scores when the music. Um, worked in in previous outings, and I'm like, I have to disagree with Alfman there because the John Williams Superman march would not have worked in Man of Steel, and um, the Danny Elfman Batman theme wouldn't have worked in the Dark Knight trilogy. Oh, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So they, right. they they need a new musical identity because they are new versions of these characters, and him bringing back these themes, I I I, I first thought like I don't know how we can. 
I don't know how we can consider this canon now in a way, but but I actually figured it out how how you can see it because I think Danny Elfman was kind of like just having fun with the fact uh, that he uh, was going for these characters, and so he really didn't cons uh, he didn't uh, take this movie as a whole all that seriously. He was just like let's just bring it back for nostalgia's sake. And in that way, it actually works. Like having just these little Easter eggs in the score, because he doesn't state the themes very often. You know, it's it just it's just a couple of times here and there. The Batman theme is not the new light motif for for Batman in this movie. It just he just brings him it in a couple of times. Same thing with uh, the, the Superman theme, which which you hear like three times uh, in key scenes. And it works, but it's yeah. it's uh, it's something you, you can't quite take seriously. It's just something for the fans, and as that, it works. And also, you can tell when you listen to a, a soundtrack album, as I often do, and I'm sure you do as well, you can tell when a composer is having fun. <laughs> And he was having fun on this one. He has. It was like, okay, okay, we've got a scene with Batman, let's bring back the Batman theme. Because he wrote them, so he owns them. So he can bring it back whenever he wants to. Oh, yeah. And uh, But I, I do agree, yeah, it wouldn't have worked in something like Man of Steel. I, I actually really do love the music of Man of Steel. I thought um, Zimmer and Hulkenberg did a really good job on that i liked the man but... of steel score i i liked it as a as a score i i i wasn't quite uh hot on the um, batman v superman score though but man of steel i actually like yeah but i mean with uh justice league you, you, you just listen to it and it's just it's fun to listen to yeah if you are of a certain age where you remember sort of seeing the first the 89 batman tim burton film or you remember the christopher reeve 1978 Superman film uh, it's it's fun to hear the lowest theme back it's fun to hear the little hints of the Superman theme but then flat out the Batman theme I mean yeah. it, it's it's just it, it's a really fun score to listen to yeah it really and, is and also it's it's kind of refreshing because um, uh, during the last few years um, Elfman actually did a lot of um, serious dramas in a way, or or, or some some things that aren't quite typical for him. If you consider um, the, the the most of his films, because he did like oh, Big Eyes. Big Eyes was a fantastic score he did, but it's very not Danny Elfman. Yeah, and I mean he has he has. Um, I, I mean he he once was like the king of superhero scores for a while, and he. But but uh, in the last few years, he he mostly did like uh, uh, dramas like uh, you know the girl on the train or Tulip Fever, and he all, of course did like the the, the, 50, the Fifty Shades movies, and um, he now he in a different style, and uh, he only did a brief return to superheroes uh, with his um, uh, additional material for um, Avengers: Age of Ultron, which I thought worked quite well. Um, because also you had thematic continuity uh, there, but he also did something new with uh, with the old Alan Silvestri theme, which mm. was great. And now hearing this full, uh, overblown superhero score was actually something you didn't realize you missed until now. 
I, I, it was ref- it was refreshing, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. I was like, wow, th- this is the old school Elfman. He's back, oh. even without uh, the, the thematic callbacks to this old material. It's a great score, you know. You 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 wouldn't have needed those things. It, that's just the the icing on top, um, because the rest is so good. And he um, he, I, I think uh, one of the biggest indicators that he has fun with it is that because the finale takes place in in Russia or maybe like some kind of pseudo Russia. I don't know how it's called in the DC universe, but he actually uses a balalaika and plays the Justice League theme um, with that instrument several times, which I thought was actually very entertaining. I can say hand on heart that uh, Justice League as a film it's worth watching. It's certainly better than Batman versus Superman. Yeah. Um, which um, I've, I've said this on on our podcast a couple of times when I've done a couple of interviews, especially with um, Gareth Rubri. In it, it's about a third too long. Batman versus <laughs> Superman. It's it's two thirds of a really really good film, and then the last third, uh, you know. It's, buildings being destroyed and a massive CG villain that nobody wanted no um, but Justice League it's, it's worth watching but th- just get the score because that's so much more fun oh yeah um, it, uh, it it totally is and um, um, yeah. In, in terms of Batman v Superman there are only two scenes I liked in that one and that was I know you're not a fan. Uh, and that was the prologue. I thought that was well done with uh, with the origin of uh, of Batman with the murder of his parents. I thought that one was actually quite well filmed. And the Batman takedown scene and the um, when when he rescues uh, uh, Superman's mother. I thought that scene was freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, but it did break one of the cardinal rules of Batman. Uh, yeah, like like the not killing thing. Yeah, I was like, I don't care about this now. You know, this is a different Batman, and they justify it in the story why he's so much darker and so much more brutal. And I know it's kind of off-putting seeing him straight up like murdering people, but I was like, you know, after the Dark Knight trilogy, which uh, which had this whole theme about not killing, I thought it was kind of like, you know, this is something different. I'm I'm and in the first comics. Um, he 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 also killed. So I was like, so this is maybe like, and in the bat, in the Tim Burton Batman, he he murders people all the time in that. So uh, that's true. That's a good point. So yeah. I I was like, you know, this is um, uh, no, uh, I don't know what the writers were thinking or if this was intentional or maybe they just didn't think about it and just said, you know, this is just something that's cool, so let's do it. But I really wasn't bothered by the fact that he killed people. I was like, you know, this this works in the context well enough okay two points on that um, one you're absolutely right I, I completely agree with you because in the early comics he did actually kill people yeah, with, with a gun but, or something but, but uh, what I liked about the, the Nolan uh, Batman films was this whole credo and you see it really really prominently in The Dark Knight with Heath Ledger as the Joker where he says you've got one rule and that's the one rule you're going to have to break yeah and and Christian Bale's Batman won't do it because that's the, the whole point of the Joker's plan and that, what to me made the film so brilliant but having said that in Man of Steel people had a problem with him 
at the end. Spoilers here, just in case. Oh, who cares? <laughs> okay. At the end, uh, Superman does, you know, well, not rip off, but break Zod's head. But, and then they were like, everyone was like, so, well, Superman wouldn't kill people. I was like, yes, but he was killing one person to save, like, 200. What? No, he so, was killing one person to save, like, f- four people, and he let uh, the Kryptonians murder <laughs> thousands of people before that, and he didn't care. So that wasn't justified. That's a good from, point, actually. That was, <laughs> I mean, we, we could point. talk about the problems of Man of Steel, like, all day, but that one totally wasn't justified, in my in my opinion. But I, but I get your point there. I, I get what the movie was trying to do. But uh, for me, it it didn't quite work because there there could have been a much more easy route for him to to do this. And uh, after that fact, it's it's totally forgotten. You know, it's it's something that doesn't have an aftermath. It doesn't have um, a proper yeah. setup. It's just something that happens for the sake of it. Hey, it's all subjective, yeah. as I said. <laughs> you know, so you know, one man's <laughs> one man's poison is another man's life affirming elixir. It is. It is indeed. Um, I love that film, and I will defend it. But I completely understand the problems that people have. Well, um, uh, before we um, sign off, could you please um, we should both should uh, name two more scores which we consider the best of the year 2017. Which ones would that be for you? Oh gosh. Um, you go first because I need to oh, no problem. I need to think about um, this. <laughs> because I actually, I actually made a list. I have like a top 20 list um, I have made no notes for this show whatsoever because it was nice to just show up and talk. <laughs> yeah, um, but um, uh, because number two on my list is Kingsman the Golden Circle, but um, number three um, is um, Fyodor Shapiro's Captain Underpants, which was just an all around fantastic score, which actually was a legitimately cool superhero soundtrack, but also a great parody soundtrack. It just revels in uh, the the style of John Williams but also does something very funny with it. It's it's great to hear an epic uh, choir singing uh, words like uh, underpants, his name is underpants and all that stuff. It's, it's it, 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 it was incredibly entertaining to listen to that score. It was one of the big surprises uh, of the year for me. The movie as well, the movie was hysterically funny. And uh, with the soundtrack match that it was a great score. And uh, my number one, my really my favorite soundtrack of this uh, of this year. Um, was actually the first soundtrack I listened to in 2017 and it stayed with me all year and that was uh, Ramin Javadi's The Great Wall easily his best work to date in my opinion uh, from, from oh, a, The Great Wall, yeah, I've, I've seen that Yeah, yeah. Um, his best work to date um, from a composer I always liked and uh, he does a marvellous job with the orchestra, with the Chinese influences, with the choir it was all around a fantastic musical experience.
Hey, um, a quick question. Um, do do we count any soundtracks that are mainly, primarily source music rather than score? Oh um, no, um, it, it actually uh, should should be um, uh, the, the score because uh, source music and other stuff fits something totally different. But um, if you, if if there's something you want to uh, point out there, I'm I'm uh, eager to listen. Okay, so I'm going to bring up, um, this is a gimme, this isn't actually part of my choice because it's not a composer as such, even though the composer was Stephen Bryce, um, Baby Driver. Oh yeah, oh, uh, you got a point there, that was an awesome collection of songs. And I, I count it as a soundtrack because it's not just source music, it was so ingrained into the, the filmmaking and the choreography and the way that Baby Driver turned out. Um, it, it really, I, I thought it was incredible, but it did have little intermittent moments that were composed by Stephen Price. So yeah. I put that out there as a sort of a, an alternate, you know? I, I totally get it, yeah. it's it, it, That was uh, just all around fantastic. Without the soundtrack, the, the movie wouldn't exist. Okay, um, so, okay, uh, let's see, other scores of 2017. Um, one of these is actually a TV show, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Uh, Daniel Pemberton's work on Black Mirror. Oh, I I, I haven't uh, seen that show and I haven't listened to that music. But uh, the name Daniel Pemberton, I I really. Oh, he did uh, Steve Jobs, and um, it, uh, he's just an amazing composer he is. that grew up he is. composing uh, British sort of like comedy on Channel Four, like shows like Peep Show uh, and stuff, and then graduated through the ranks, and now he's doing Oscar-winning stuff. Um, along with uh, Stephen Price, um, his work—he's only done about two episodes of Black Mirror, but—and again, it, it's very minimal the music he does. But I thought the last series of Black Mirror was really brilliant. Um, I'd also point out the music um, for Stranger Things two mm -hmm. in 2017, which I thought was again very minimal, but. Um, very 80s very sort of in the time zone uh my favorite score of 2017 oh my lord that that is a really difficult difficult one <laughs> do you know what despite the film i'm probably gonna have to go with justice league yeah that's a good choice because it's just it's an album i can put on any time and it's just great and you notice little nuances that you didn't before every time you listen to oh it. yeah and uh, yeah, okay, the film is not great. So, listeners of Lasser Show out there, don't buy the Blu ray of Justice League, just buy the soundtrack by Danny Elfman because you'll have a much better time. Trust yeah, me. Yeah, of course. And then the quality of a movie doesn't matter uh, when. Uh in terms of a score, you know, on this list. I mean, The Great Wall, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a bad movie, but it's nothing that would I can, uh, I would consider, like, best movie of a year material. But the, yeah. but the score, it just uh, uh, hit, hit all the right notes for me, pun intended. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's the reason why, why it's on the list. And uh, just, just taking the movie out of it, same thing with stuff like The Mummy or um, 
uh, you know, uh, Justice League is also on my list, but uh, but a little. Oh, also, I I have to give a, a special mention as well to Wonder Woman by Rupert uh, Gregson Williams. Yeah. Um, because I thought that was an incredible film. Um, it was a terrific score, and Danny Elfman reworked the Wonder Woman theme into Justice League. Yeah, and it's it sounded so it wasn't very... with electric guitars anymore. It was just done with the orchestra. So that that is definitely worth a list. Yeah, it it, it is. Uh, when I uh, I actually first listened to the um, to the Justice League score on my iPod when I was um, like uh, uh, jogging in school, um, like like in, uh, during uh, during our um, our sports class, and then I just <laughs> uh, and and that was the first time I I listened to the first uh, few tracks of the soundtracks, and as soon as the Wonder Woman stuff uh, came up. I uh, I was uh, smiling all the way, and I was like, "Oh, this this is great! I can't wait to see this on screen." Well, let, let's hope that, uh, unlike the Golden Globes, that uh, more female directors get uh, nominated for the Oscars and the Baftas. Because, I mean, look at people like Catherine Bigelow, who did Detroit, which was an amazing film. Uh, you look at Patty Jenkins, Wonder Woman. Why no nomination for her? I mean, and. Uh, Greta, who did um, Lady Bird. Yeah, Lady Bird. I, I, I hope this comes to Germany as well. I hear nothing but good things about that. I mean, Wonder Woman was a good movie, but I can see why it wasn't nominated in in those kinds of uh, things. Uh, you know, in, in in those categories, because uh, because it's 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 not a movie get, that gets typically chosen. So I'm so I, I think most of the Academy uh, and in Golden Globe people, you know, they they're still kind of biased about superhero movies in that regard i mean i mean even like stuff like the dark knight didn't get nominated for like best director or anything like that so you you can see that even though all these uh, big um respected stars play now big parts in marvel movies they still don't get nominated in the major categories and uh, yeah the reason is because they don't take those movies uh, seriously yeah, and that's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, and in some in some ways, I can understand it, but in other in other um, aspects, I, I don't get it. Like stuff like of like I mean, the Dark Knight, it, it brought home like a, a, a best supporting actor Oscar, um, the, which is of course great, but um, it's uh, it's strange, yeah. isn't it? Because I mean, I mean, you look at something like the Dark Knight or Wonder Woman. They're just as well-made films. Uh, I, I disagree but, with but you. With, uh, well, no, I mean, you look at The Dark Knight and I, I would put it up there with films like Heat or um, or Goodfellas or something yeah. like that. I mean, it's, it's a crime story. It just happens to have a superhero in it that doesn't have any superpowers. Yeah. It's a very realistic superhero movie. But uh, Wonder Woman... Uh, and then Wonder Woman, I mean, yes, okay, it's fantastical, but then Lord of the Rings, you know, The Return of the King, that won Best Oscar. Yeah, yeah, of, of course, of course, there's always the, the exception to the rule, but uh, Wonder Woman is um, is a movie that, that has, like, a, of course, a much simpler story, a much simpler concept uh, than, than something like Lord of the Rings or uh, The Dark Knight. And I, I can I can see of of course everybody uh, was like an outrage when where uh, when she wasn't nominated for best directing but but I was like even you know even though it was a good movie I I still can get it you know in the limitations of um, of of the material uh, and all that stuff I mean there's there's always um, 
there's sometimes the right time and sometimes there's just ah it's it's a difficult subject matter let's 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 just say that yeah i mean especially as the oscars is voted for the the oscar panel i mean the average age is about 78 years old so and that's just a crime through they're not going to sit through something like Wonder Woman and appreciate it for the artistry and the character work and the strong female character. I mean, that film inspired so many young girls to go out sort of like at Halloween. I want to dress as Wonder Woman this year. That's a brilliant thing for the industry. Yeah. They, 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 there should be more of that, you know? But, uh, but you have to consider also... I mean, Wonder Woman was a good movie, but it got... It got a lot of, I won't say overhype, but it maybe got more hype than it would have uh, usually uh, have gotten because it was the first female superhero movie of all t- um, uh, of all time that didn't suck. Yeah, and it's it's arguably in the <laughs> in the top three or even two of DC superhero films that haven't been awful. I mean, it's. You could probably put. Um, I, I don't know if, if the Dark Knight trilogy counts as DC movies. I suppose they do, but I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's it's Dark Knight and then Wonder Woman. I mean, it's just as good. It's a different film because they have to be. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, I I don't see why it's not getting the same sort of recognition. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I, I can see it in the in a way. Because, I mean, that the Dark Knight trilogy, of course, they are DC, but they are not classic DC. That's, that's just movies that have DC properties in it, but they the movies are uh, their own thing. And now the, the new DCEU movies, how they're called, um, they, of course, they, they embrace uh, the, the stuff in the comics and uh, some of the more unrealistic things much more. I mean, they, they are just... Um, yeah, diff- different types of superhero movies than the Dark Knight uh, movies were, and um, and Warner Woman was, uh, in my opinion, the first good DCEU movie. But it was the first good yeah. female yeah, superhero yeah. movie. Also, it's it, it's a shame that uh, that they uh, didn't do it. And of course, the, the studios always uh, the, the studios never understand why uh things fail because it's not like the movies are bad you know it never is that it's not like oh this movie was terrible that's not the reason the reason of course was after stuff like um electra or catwoman it uh, the reason was oh people just don't want to see green lantern female superhero movies oh yeah if, what was I, I don't know what the problem with green lantern was and in, in, in their opinion. it was a bad film it was a very bad film. yeah it was <laughs> but i don't know what the what the studio's reason was uh, was in that case but it's always like oh just people don't like female superheroes that that was the reason why catwoman failed of course that's the only reason yeah, well, they've, they've been proved wrong, haven't they? Because Wonder Woman is, is, I think it's like the third highest grossing film of 2017. Yeah, and, and the, like the that. reason for that was because people actually cared about the character. And the, the and also, you're bringing a new demographic into the cinema. If, if, if it's a female superhero, I'm not categorising because I, I loved it because it was a good superhero. Film. Yeah, uh, me too. But it, it got families and it got young girls into the theatres and they presented them with a strong compassionate and loving superhero that could also 
you might have to bleep this kick ass <laughs> yeah you know and and that's 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 a good message to send out there look okay she happens to be a woman that's the only thing she just happens to be a woman she's also brilliant loving compassionate and she will kick your ass yeah and and i don't i really don't see why uh, some some of those really bigoted people uh, don't don't accept uh, stuff like this i mean it's 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 like you know you are okay with like uh, um, actors like Hugh Jackman or Henry Cavill or anyone like that, you know, you're always uh, seeing their glistening body sweat and, and and all that stuff. But but you have problems. <laughs> but you have problems seeing an attractive woman fight. I, I really don't get this. You know, it's like you you're hitting you're hitting two uh, you're hitting two and one there. You know, you have you have a beautiful woman on screen and you have action and both of these things most men like. <laughs> yeah, and also it's not just like she's a beautiful woman on screen. I mean, Gal Gadot it is absolutely beautiful, but it was her character. It was it was how compassionate she was. She's all about peace and protecting and just being a good person. Uh, uh, but then she can also, you know, as I said, you know, kick your ass. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, if you're a, a, a you know, a little girl, say, I don't know, eight, nine years old, whatever. There's nothing inappropriate in this film that means you can't watch that. So it's inspiring. And I think that is a brilliant... The only difference is she happens to be a woman. I don't care about that. I don't care if it's a man or a woman. Make a good film. Make them a good character. Yeah, exactly. And I'll I'll watch it in spades. I don't care about gender. Yeah, that's that's why I'm still fighting for a female James Bond movie. Like I don't know, uh, you can call her Jane Bond. I don't care. And like have have like and have like now a Bond boy. I, it would be it would be actually great to see a, fe a female <laughs> James Bond movie. In my opinion. Well, we've now got a female Doctor Who. So. <coughs> yeah, and that's that's a step in the right direction. I mean, it's a shame that they're doing it so late. But uh, you know, I mean, uh, the human race adapts very slowly, and uh, people don't like to do risky things but i hate the fact that doing something with a woman in a main role is a risky thing nowadays and it shouldn't be a selling point either it's like oh well now the doctor's a woman like, well who cares the doctor is the doctor it's the same character he just happens to regenerate and he can regenerate into anything and it's not the fact that they chose a woman it's the fact they chose a fantastic actor oh yeah jodie whittaker i mean that's what i'm more excited about i don't really care as i said if it's a man or a woman just do the character right and i'll i'll be there in spades with bells on yeah um, i first saw her in uh, her part in attack the block uh, yeah she was and, fantastic and i was and, and I, I i've never heard of her and when i watched like five minutes of that movement i was like who is this woman? She's really good. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. As long as they're good and they're right for the role, I don't care what gender they are. You know, they they could have picked a African-American actor. They could have picked a woman. They could have picked a younger guy or an older guy. It doesn't matter. As long as the actor is right for the role, I don't care. Oh, yeah. Um, that's... that's... Uh, that, that's maybe why I uh, I was one of the only people who like who kind of liked 
uh, the Dark Tower movie because I never read the source material and I just took uh, the casting choices as they were, you know, not comparing them to how it's maybe described in the book. And I looked at uh, Idris Elba and uh, Matthew McConaughey and I was like, they are fantastic in this. I have not seen that one. I'm um, you maybe uh, it's it's um, y you should see it like as a because it's an an, an interesting. I mean, it's uh, in in the grand scheme of things, it's not a great movie. It's not really a good movie even, but it's uh, but it's a uh, at least interesting. <laughs> you don't, you, you're not selling it very. I'm well. sorry, but it's uh, that's just the fact because I know that the source material is so much deeper and the movie is just snippets of all the eight books put into 90 minutes and that's just a shame that's a huge shame that it took like 10 years for this movie to get off the ground and where they couldn't even do any justice to the source material but for what it is it's i mean it's a standard modern action adventure movie but it's uh, unreasonably well acted uh, i mean the casting is spot on and that and it's it's very entertaining just to see the actors, and uh, on that alone, on that point alone, uh, I hope I'm selling it to you because because the, the acting is really good. No, I'm definitely going to check it out now. Yeah, if, if, if listeners of Lassa, trust me, if he says it's good, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> so. No, I, I trust you, man. You've got impeccable taste. We sometimes disagree, but uh, as I said. It's all subjective, so that's fine. That's so nice. And like I said, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a great movie, but it's at least an entertaining movie. So what was your favourite film of 2017? Oh, uh, of 2017. Um, uh, of course, um, I just tomorrow I have another guest where we talk a little bit about that. But um, uh, my favourite film of 2017 would be, I think, uh, Coco. Ah, because okay. that I, I have... Have not seen that because yet. that one is uh, that's just actually Pixar doing something new, but still knowing what their strengths are. It's it's a very very entertaining, very heartfelt movie. Um, the 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 culture depicted in that, it's just so colorful. It's so creative, and uh, yeah, my I teared up at the end because it's I mean it's Pixar, but it's it was done very well um and it actually uh, michael Giacchino has an animated cameo in that one <laughs> and i missed it i i didn't recognize him even though he has several close-ups but if well he has a, a live action cameo in jurassic world oh really i i missed it you know the two young kids in jurassic yeah. world when they're getting into they're queuing up to get into that bubble thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of remember. He's, he's the ticket guy. Oh, really? Oh, that, that's awesome. I didn't know. Okay, well, actually, that's a very good point because I think what Pixar are doing right now is what Marvel should be doing, is that they've, they've hit a stride and Pixar have realised we need to do something a little bit different. We can't just keep doing Toy Story 5, 6, 7, 8, whatever. Yeah. So they're doing different stories like Coco, which is a very, very different story. It is. Um, the Marvel films, I feel, have have hit a stride and then they're in a rut now in that they're kind of almost always the same. Um, I'm not saying I don't like them. I really like Doctor Strange because that was something they did that was a little bit different. Um, I really liked what they did with... Uh, 
with uh, Captain America, which as a British person, I thought Captain America would be the one I'd hate the most, you know, because it's all about American propaganda yeah. and Captain America. and Same stuff. here. But, but the stories they've told in the Captain America series, I think is the best stuff that Marvel have done. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, part two and three, at least. like a... Yeah, Winter Soldier. I mean, that was basically like a 70s espionage film. I was amazed and by then... that one. I was like, wow, you really, you're taking this kind of ridiculous character and making him one of the most, uh, and putting him in one of the most serious films of the entire series. I was like, this is, this is amazing. Yeah, what they did with that, especially I'm um, getting Robert Redford on Winter that Soldier. Blow my, blew my mind. I was like, yeah. you have Robert Redford in this. This is amazing. It was incredible. And then in Civil War, it was uh, basically a, a conflict picture. I mean, it could almost be, um, let's say, I don't know, The Paper, this recent film from Spielberg. The Post, you mean, yeah. The Post, sorry, yes. Um, but so they took it and it, it was basically about sort of like contracts and, and stuff so what they've done with that Captain America series I think is phenomenal and I really didn't expect to like that series at all mm. um, Thor I, I loved the first one because I thought Ken Branagh was a great great choice to direct it because Thor is all about Asgard and it's it's kind of Shakespearean language but he also nailed the action stuff. Yeah. Now the second, the second Thor, I did not like at all. The Dark World, I, I did not like that one. Yeah, I think it's okay, but it's um, I I can see why people don't like it, or if even if if they like it, but it's, it, it's nothing special. Yeah, but the third one, the new one, Ragnarok, I mean, my God, they got a brilliant comedic director on board, uh, Taiki, and. It, he's from New Zealand, and it's basically a comedy Thor film. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 more than a comedy. I think it's 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 straight up parody. Yeah, he's it, it, they're basically taking the Mickey out of all the previous Thor films and Avengers films and all that stuff, and it, it's showing Chris it's showing Chris Hemsworth as the comedic genius that he is, which he's not been allowed to display before. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, he, he really did uh, did a great job in the, in the 2016 Ghostbusters uh, with a comedy there. What, what... Oh, he stole that he, film. He did. Absolutely stole he, that He film. absolutely did, but in this one, it's, um, it, it, it was even better. Um, but, but also, uh, surprisingly, and in this parody comedy film, it had really competent action. Oh, the action is is, is incredible. That, that's the genius of what the director did in that he basically wanted to. Well, they all said sort of like, okay, we've done we've done Thor about five or six times now. We need to do something a bit different. Yeah. Uh, and they made it really, really funny, but they kept the solid action in there. Yeah, they uh, they they did a good job with uh, with the material and. Sometimes, sometimes I thought it, it didn't quite uh, go together. Like you know, you have a massacre with like Hela and the and the soldiers of Asgard, and then the next one you have like slapsticky scenes with with Hulk. I mean, like sometimes uh, the, the tones clash a bit, 
but and, and especially in the end where i was like you you, do, you don't you don't need the funny uh, commentary of a, of a rock giant uh during like the uh, d doing like an almost genocide uh, i'm like uh, may maybe lay off the comedy for now but uh, for the most part it really worked and, and, and my mother thought uh, thought uh, those particular scenes were pretty funny too uh, when she uh, went to see it with me um i really like that guy I, 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 I did too I... but in the end they uh, i was like ah shut up now you know this this, this doesn't fit quite with a. Uh, uh, with a core of a scene. I mean, it, it, but 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 it was just the end. Uh, for the rest, he he was really funny. Well, I I loved it. I I, I think it might be the best film that Marvel have put out. But <laughs> just my opinion again, all subjective. My favorite is still the first Guardians of the Galaxy. That one just uh, hit all the sweet spots uh, for me. But again, that was them trying something different. Yeah. Something that nobody has ever heard of, like most people, like who the hell are the Guardians of the Galaxy? And when, when they uh, do this, um, and from the first trailer, I, I was hyped for it because it looked like uh, 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 a mixture of two things I really like: Star Wars and Firefly. <laughs> Good choices, my yeah, friend. Yeah, it, it, it worked tremendously well. I mean, and also I, I was looking forward to the movie because at that point I already was a, f a fan of James Gunn's work. So uh, t to me, that, that, that movie, yeah, that movie did all the right things um, before I even saw it. And then I saw it, and I was like, "This is this is awesome." And uh, the second one also was really good. But but the first one, it was just, yeah, all all the uh, right things. It was a, a breath of fresh air, wasn't it? It, it was indeed, especially in in a, in a in this kind of uh, cynical time we live in nowadays, that was just the perfect counterbalance movie where we just let's embrace the absurdity and uh, do everything that uh, all movies really, really are not trying anymore. Just have fun and show creativity. Yeah, and also that that credo that maybe let's just make the audience smile for for two hours. Yeah. You know, um, you know, because there's so much horribleness in the world why not go into a theater and sit down for two hours and just be able to smile and laugh yeah, and st for a couple of and hours and still making them cry with uh with a talking raccoon and and and, and a tree man on screen <laughs> yeah it's just wow these movies are really you 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 never you never know what to expect with these it's it, the same thing with something like kung fu panda I was like, how is a movie series called Kung Fu Panda one of the best uh, kids' movie series of our time? Yeah, you're going to hate me here. Um, I've never seen a Kung Fu Panda. Oh, that's, that, that's awesome because you totally... You should see it right now. All three films are magnificent, not only from an animation standpoint because they are beautiful, but also the, the, the comedy uh, is, is, is just great. And the music is absolutely incredible oh I, i've got all the soundtracks i just have never seen one of the films. yeah you really should i just watched the um, the third one yesterday uh, for the um, umpteenth time and it's um these movies are i know dude i follow you on twitter <laughs> these movies are really really good um you you, you should you should see them I, I will try it. I, I honestly, I will try, but I've got so many things to catch up on. It's uh, 
I'll put it on the list. Oh yeah. Let's let, leave there. So. That's encouraging. Well, I'm afraid we are out of time now. But okay. um, let's uh, let me say before you um, say um, your goodbyes. Um, I had a lot of fun having you as a guest. Uh, I really didn't expect where the conversations would go, but we talked about a lot of very important things, uh, about a lot of things uh, I hadn't talked about yet on here, and it was very refreshing to um, to hear your point of view and uh, from someone who has uh, just as much passion uh, for this kind of stuff uh, as me. Um, so, so thank you so much for being a guest on here. Oh, not at all. Thank you for having me. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I do apologize for chattering on for so long. I know you said you wanted this to be an hour. We're coming up close to an hour and 45. No problem. Um, uh, but no, thank you. This was a real joy for me for, because for once I didn't have to write or prep or <laughs> do any work and I don't have to edit it as well, which is a joy. Uh, and, and you are an, a, a true friend, um, a true brethren of Sideshow, and it was just an honor to be on your show. That's so nice. Thank you. So um, for our listeners, um, where can people find you and your work? Okay, well, the main place is sideshowsoundtheatre.com. That's theatre spelt R-E, the English way. Um, I do a show on there. Um, if you go to the website and click on interviews, you'll see interviews I've done recently with Bruce Broughton, Elon Eshkari, Benjamin Wolfish, Leslie Barber, Um and there's a few big interviews coming up. Upcoming interviews I have is with uh, Mr. Michael Abels, who recently did the score for Get Out. Yeah, awesome. Uh, uh, Carlos uh, Rafael Rivera, who did the uh, TV show Godless. And the most recent one was with the uh, pretty, pretty iconic um, composer Rolf Kent. Oh, yeah. Uh, that that will be out very very soon that's amazing wow so yeah um, uh, if, if you're very very bored you can find me on twitter i don't really do much apart from post pictures of sweets i'm going to eat when i'm editing or or my cat um <laughs> but it's uh ian crab that's e-y-u-n-c-r-a-b-b on Twitter. Oh, it's always entertaining following you on Twitter, uh, I, I gotta say. Um, so yeah, a, a lot of stuff looking forward to. Guys, really check out um, his interview series and just uh, check out Sideshow uh, Sound Theatre in general. It's an amazing podcast with amazing people and I'm also in a few episodes so uh, plenty of stuff to you are indeed. You're in at least uh, two or three. Yeah, so, so, so plenty of stuff to uh, like about it. Um, um, <laughs> my, my stuff, uh, you can find, of course, um, you can find myself on Facebook, on Twitter, under Lasse Vogt. Um, you can find all my stuff on YouTube, um, channel name The Depart, or if you just type in Lasse Vogt, where you can find all my um, video reviews, uh, my riff videos, my... Um, my short films, everything. Most of it's in German, but um, that's... Um, I can't help it. I'm sorry. But there's is a few... Uh, well, you are German. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a few English stuff there as well. Like, there's an English riff video, which is quite silly. Um, 
And uh, also I write uh, German uh, soundtrack reviews uh, for the blog scoregeek.wordpress.com. Plenty of stuff looking forward to coming um, this year as well. There are a lot of uh, great soundtracks I can't wait um, to review. Um, yeah, and uh, this uh, this podcast you can listen to uh, on Facebook and also on YouTube. Um, this was the newest episode of Fans About Films. I had a lot of fun checking with, uh, chatting with you. Thank you so much for uh, being a part of this. Oh, my, my lord, it was an absolute pleasure. I really, really enjoyed this. It's so nice to be on the other end of the microphone, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get your point there. It's, it's always refreshing for me when I am a guest uh, somewhere and then I just have to wait a couple of days um, and, and not not work at all but you know it's it's always fun editing these things so uh, so guys uh, thanks for dude I, I will talk to you anytime you want me to seriously this was so much fun I, I will be back in a heartbeat oh, if you want me I will take advantage of that don't worry <laughs> <laughs> so um, so people thank you for listening goodbye dear listeners goodbye <laughs> and good night good night